Before we get started, before any of this starts, I'd like to remind you that you can experience an ad-free version of this by clicking the link in the description that says plus.acast.com slash s slash Radio Free Catholic. May God bless you and the Virgin protect you. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. This is Caleb the Mechanic with Radio Free Catholic. Let's get started with a prayer. In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Requiem aeternam, dona eis Domine, et lux perpetua lucia, requiescat in pace. Cor Jesus Sacratissimum, Miserere nobis, Mater dolorosa, ora pro nobis. Domine, ostende facem tuum et salvi erimus. Ave Maria Purissima, Immaculata Conceptio Est. In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. <clears throat> so, There's a man, 
Kenneth Darlington, age 77, a retired lawyer, an American, traveling on the Pan America Highway in Panama. Got into an altercation, not a very massive looking altercation, and shot two climate protesters dead. Now they call them climate or environmental activists. And I gotta be honest with you, the type of person who is an environmental activist under normal circumstances, I don't know that I would waste the time praying for their soul because most of the time when you hear about an environmentalist or an environmental activist, it's one of these climate change weirdos who thinks we evolved from monkeys and all, like all sorts of other nonsense and very much probably doesn't hold the faith. But this isn't a normal story. There's something about it that, as I was looking at it, it just became very, very clear. There's nothing particularly typical about this story. For starters, we're not talking about something that happened in the United States of America, even though it does involve an American. This was in Panama. This wasn't Just Stop Oil or, what was it, Extinction Rebellion or any of those normal, what you would, what you would normally consider to be, you know, the white, liberal, stupid, climate change Nazi weirdos. There was a particular protest that this actually wasn't, you know, there was a particular thing that this protest was actually about. There apparently is a large mining contract between the Panamanian government and a Canadian company to operate the region's largest pit, copper mine. Now, if you're unfamiliar with pit copper mine, or with a pit mine, I'd recommend that you take a second to go ahead and Google it. These things are usually large industrial mines, um, and most of the time, particularly at least like with, uh, with the companies that are Western companies, most of the time when you see these large pit mines, it's, you know, a decent amount of large industrial machinery and, and all of that. But this is in Panama, and there's a non-zero chance that this pit mine would be actually what they refer to as artisan mining. Now, what is artisan mining? Well, in a lot of countries, the cost of operating heavy equipment in order to conduct all of the all of the uh, materials extraction, you know, of copper and gold, silver, etc., particularly the more <clears throat> the more precious or semi-precious metals, what ends up happening is rather than running large industrial equipment, they'll do what they call artisan mining, which is actually done entirely by hand and in many third world countries is actually not just done entirely by hand, but usually is done entirely by hand by children. 
Now, I do not know if this is going to be the case for this very large pit mine in, in Panama. But I do know that a pit mine is a very environmentally harmful thing. And given the fact that Western countries have this tendency to really push the tremendously harmful environmental impact outside of their own nations, it's not terribly surprising that a Canadian company would be working to build, working to operate a pit mine in someplace like Panama. Panama's a nothing country. They've got no kind of real economy. The government is largely corrupt. They can pretty much do whatever. Um, and so I would not be surprised if this actually ended up being <clears throat> an artisan mine, as it were, using what effectively amounts to slave labor. I don't know for sure, honestly. Um, I don't know enough as, at this time. But usually, you, if you remember at the beginning of this, I said, it was not a very dramatic altercation. These protesters were blocking the Pan-American Highway. This is a very large highway. It's one of the main, it's one of the main thoroughfares that basically crosses the entirety of the continent from south to north. <clears throat> and that's a thing to keep in consideration. The traffic that, tra that travels along this highway would not necessarily just be local traffic. We're not talking about, you know, Greenfield, England, and the small cozy town where, where protesters have decided to block the highway where an oil company is about to start exploiting this, that, or the other. We're not talking about that. There is a non-zero chance that whatever's about to happen with this, with this pit mine is actually going to be tremendously uh, devastating to the Panamanian people. Pit mines generally are, I mean, they're weird. <clears throat> they're not... They're not what you would normally consider, you know, uh, casual industry. They're either very heavily industrial and extract a very heavy cost against the local environment, or they exact a very heavy cost against the local people, um, particularly if it's an artisan mine. In fact, if it is an artisan mine, then... The mine in the movie The Rundown, starring Dwayne The Rock Johnson and Christopher Walken, would probably be the best illustrator, and you can see it. And given the fact that that, that movie was based in South America, at least where that mine was, there's a non-zero chance that this is actually what we're looking at. This is probably what's actually going to happen. And I would highly recommend, so you get a really good idea as to what we're talking about, um, I would highly recommend that you watch at least that portion of the movie. The, um, they look like hell, honestly. And it's copper, it's not even gold. But pit mining, but the pit mining is done basically the same way as it is in that movie.
And oftentimes, the business is just as corrupt as it is in that movie. So if these protesters are not your usual wealthy white liberal ne'er-do-well who's got nothing to better do to do than to disrupt other people's lives. Ostensibly, there's a reason for them to be protesting like this. On the other side of it, I got a chance to see some of the video in the lead-up, and there are some still shots circulating around social media where you see Kenneth Darlington walking up the road, older gentleman, white hair, beard, heavy set. Doesn't look to be the type of person who, you know, would just go on a shooting rampage. And he cooperated with law enforcement when they arrived. I saw the videos of his arrest. And he just, you know, did what he was told and got in the car and they arrested him. And we'll see. We'll see how this whole thing comes out. Now, ostensibly, Darlington had a reason to be in a country like Panama. Panama is interesting, to say the least. And so it's possible that there is some part, you know, there is some part of Kenneth Darlington who is a sociopath or a psychopath or something like that. But there's a perfectly executed still shot of the moment when he pulled the trigger. The gun's in his hand, the, the spent casing is in the air, it's actually hovering right, just right around where his uh, right temple is, just above his eyebrows. <clears throat> smoke surrounding the gun. Not a very thick smoke, I mean, it's not like, we're not talking about like old black powder rifles. This is a, this is a modern, um, if I had to guess, probably some form of 1911. Or, you know, that something on that on that platform. Maybe a Kimber. It does look newer than a typical nineteen eleven. So maybe a Kimber of some sort. I honestly I can't can't really tell from the picture. <clears throat> the look on his face is not a look of hostility. And I think that's possibly the thing that that caused this this story to go around social media to the degree that, that it has. And look, you're listening to radio free Catholic. So do me the favor of not assuming I'm trying to lionize this person. I'm going to be blunt. I'm not entirely sure where I come down on this whole thing. The variables in play are massive and you can't, in none of the videos can you hear them talking. Nothing. Like, there, there's, you just can't, there's really not enough to tell. There is a point where you can tell he's kind of agitated and he's pointing back at the road. And it appears that they, obviously from the distance, actually, for the camera angle I'm looking at, it just looks like the guy, is sta like the guy who gets shot is standing there and says something provocative. But the look on, on Darlington's face is not one of anger. It's not one of rage. 
if I were going to describe it, I probably would describe it the way Steve Skojek uh, describes it in an article that he posted. Um, it, I would probably describe it as resignation. The impression I get from the look on his face is not one of hostility. There's no, um, there's no tightness around the eyes. His lips are not curled up in a look of disgust. In all honesty, there's a part when we're looking at his face, he looks sad. He looks resigned. He looks, he looks like this is where we have to be. And so I'm just going to do what it seems I have to do. And that's causing a lot of people to lionize him. For starters, obviously, if you're anywhere on the political right side of the aisle, in that in that sort of in the common Western parlance of the of the political right, then you're looking at a man who probably embodies exactly what you've been waiting to see. Somebody who's just had enough. And I think part of the reason why I'm not entirely sure how I feel about this whole thing is because I've been waiting for this. I've known for a long time that this was coming. I haven't been looking forward to it at all. Because at some point, this puts in front of us a set of questions that we have to each answer individually, as a family, as a community, a neighborhood, a city, a state, and a country. One side is not playing by the rules. They're not playing by any rules. They're not playing by Roger's rules of order. They're not playing by they're not playing by the laws of Christianity or of even Judah. Well, I mean, maybe to a degree Judaism. Um, <clears throat> they're not playing by any rules that actually apply to everyone. If there is a set of rules, they only actually apply to the in-group. And that's the reason why I say maybe Judaism, because in the Talmud, in the Quran, and in every other uh, belief system, as you get further and further away from Christianity, as you get further from the cross of Christ, as you get further from the apostolic church, this is ever increasing in degrees as you get further away. And so the people who are most definitely behaving in a manner that is very far away from the cross, they're not operating by any rule set that are governed by anything resembling charity or fairness, mercy, or justice. Not the way a Catholic would recognize it. And at the end of the day, on this earth, walking around in bodies, there are only men. There are, there are no demigods, there are no supermen. We're all just men. And the vast majority of mankind does not have access to supernatural grace. 
And when you're this far away from grace, this scenario is what you get. See, this protest wasn't, it's not like they just did this today and the guy's late to a dinner party. This protest had been going on for quite some time. They were blocking the roads with fires. They've been, or excuse me, with tires, and they've been burning them and creating small fires. Um, the roadblocks actually caused eighty million, roughly eighty million dollars in daily losses to businesses, and have shuttered the schools. The schools are closed nationwide for more than a week. So this isn't new. This has just been going. The protesters were creating riots and they were clashing with police to the point that the police were using tear gas and they were arresting people. And that's part of the reason why when I look at this, I go, well, okay. These may be the environmental activists. I'm not willing to go all the way on that one because I will say that pit mines are are absolutely awful. Um, And if I were going to pick something to protest that was restricted only only to something in the material world, then most certainly a, a pit mine is actually pretty high up on my list. If they were going to tell me that they were going to build a giant artisan mine just outside of my city, I would be absolutely horrified. Not because I have a problem with mining, but there's just something about the way we do it today that is inhuman and inhumane. So I might have actually chosen the side on this to actually be on the same side as the environmental protesters. It's part of the reason why I'm like, I'm not really willing to go full ham on the protesters in this particular case. This isn't just stop oil. This is a pit mine in a third world country where it's probably, if they do successfully do this, there's going to be no reason for the Canadian company who's going to be running this pit mine to not use child labor. Because it's Panama. And what the hell kind of government does Panama have? So I could see myself on the side of the environmental activists in this particular case. Like I said, I don't know a whole lot about this one, but if it is actually like... The news does seem to cover that it is a, that we're talking about a pit mine. Um, and knowing what I know about them in third world countries, that actually is why I've laid out everything that I laid out on their side. Context matters, as always. Now for Darlington, I don't know what the deal is. I heard some people, um, I've heard some reports that he may have been a trucker. You know, he's a retired lawyer, but he may have been a trucker. I've heard some reports that he actually has a rap sheet and that he's illegally carried weapons before. And it's not terribly difficult to get dual citizenship in Panama. Actually, of the countries around the world, Panama is actually one of the hardest ones that if you're trying to get rid of your citizenship, like you can live, like it's almost to the point where you can walk into Panama, simply declare yourself a Panamanian and be Panamanian. Um, and then it doesn't matter if you renounce your Panamanian citizenship, 
you'll always just be Panamanian. Like, it's kind of like that. It's wild. I don't know what the purpose is. I've never been to Panama. I don't know why the, why the legal system is structured in that way or what the nuance is. I'm sure, that, and I'm certain there is nuance. Um, I just know that some of the people, that some of my friends who are Panamanian, when they were trying to get us, when they were trying to get their security clearances in the military, caught Mary Hobb about it because the country of Panama does not permit the renunciation of your citizenship. They just don't do it. They don't recognize any renunciation of one citizenship in, in Panama. And like I said, from what I understand, it's pretty easy to gain citizenship in Panama. And as I said, I'm not pleased with the fact that people are lionizing him. I do believe that there's, there is a similarity between Mr. Darlington and if you've ever seen the movie Falling Down, starring Michael Douglas, um, that's kind of what this looks like. Except it doesn't. I mean, you know, Michael Douglas's character in that movie, when he started going off, he just went off, stayed off, and just kept going. This man waited and surrendered to police. Now, there are a lot of people on Twitter who are talking about, well, you shouldn't be blocking the road. And I do agree. It's really not a good idea. This is not a small, and the thing is, this is not a small highway. It's not a small highway. I mean, th this is a major, this is a major artery that carries traffic across the continent. <clears throat> the most Probably the most disturbing thing is what this means for the body politic writ large. We're not taking time out to listen to each other. And those people... who have been the most vehement about getting their point of view across are most definitely not taking time out to listen to anybody. They've decided their way is the right way, and it doesn't matter how miserable their lives make them, they're going to make sure that your life is actually just as bad. And say, when you protest, you have to make people feel uncomfortable. Part of this would this would not have actually ever been allowed, not ever, in monarchies. Let me say that again. This would not have been allowed in monarchies. See, because they're blocking a highway. They're not gathered around the capital. They're not 
centered at the location where they're supposed to be building this this mine or digging this mine. They're in a highway. Now clearly they're not thinking all that well. Because otherwise I would probably be protesting somewhere near the headquarters of the company in question or somewhere near the headquarters of the government agency in question that's actually making this thing come to pass. Because if you're going to block a road that's going to stop traffic for thousands of people. Maybe there should be some effort. It's supposed to be, I suppose, on some level. And you're making the protest. On some level, you should be trying to get the people to join you. It's a very difficult thing to do if I'm trying to get the hospital in an ambulance, and the ambulance can't pass through because a whole bunch of stupid people are lined across the road. Or if I'm trying to get home because there's, there's an emergency. And by emergency, I mean anything from somebody trying to break into the house to me about to poop my pants. If I'm trying to get home, maybe don't block the road and stop me because I've got nothing to do with your argument on one side or the other. And that's the thing that the left isn't getting through their heads. We're just men. You can push men to their breaking point. And eventually there's a Kenneth Darlington who's not going to be particularly interested in acting, but just finds him in a situation himself in a situation where he has to act. Now I don't think in, in all honesty, um, I probably would have gone another way about it. I don't know for sure, and like, I can't tell. I don't think I would have pulled out a forty-five caliber pistol and shot two people. But there is an important thing, like, he didn't just pull out the pistol and start shooting. There was a discussion. He pulled out the pistol. There was more of a discussion. an argument of some sort. Like I said, there's no audio in any of the video clips I've seen so far. He's an older gentleman. He wears glasses. He's got a, you know, um, <clears throat> one of those military-esque style shirts. You know, you, you know the type. Um, usually, actually, the type that you see in third world countries for people who go on safari, like that kind of shirt. You know, it's kind of a rumpled shirt. Sleeves are rolled up. They've got little. They've got those tabs 
that you can button up to hold the sleeve, the cuffs of the sleeves up. You know, the little, the little mini epaulets and all that. Like, I mean, just a very safari-type shirt. He doesn't, <laughs> he doesn't look like a Boogaloo boy. I mean, it's literally, it's like a light blue safari-type shirt, white t-shirt underneath it, khaki pants, loafers. Not a very aggressive look at all. Um, you know, if he if the buttons would have been buttoned straight, you you know you might have thought he was going to go play golf or something. Like not a very, not a very. Not the guy that you would think. I put it like that. And he took the pistol out and kind of expected everybody to move. And a few of them are like, okay, he's got a gun. And they did the natural thing and they started to move. But not everybody. And the guy he ended up shooting first actually stood tall. You know, he had one of them sticks where that guy, I think it was like a little flag or something tied around the end of it. I don't, can't really tell in, in the video. Um, might've been like a coiled up banner or something, but he stood, but he stood tall. He stood his ground. And I think that was probably part of it is like, okay, well, I mean, you're not going to move. I want you to move. We're now in a position where I have to do something. So I'm going to do it. There does appear to be some cognitive thought. Like I said, this wasn't something that was ruled entirely by emotion. And that's really the thing that concerns me about this. Is because he was definitely upset. He's definitely irate. At one point, he you can tell he's shouting. But when the protesters proved to be absolutely implacable, And it's funny because they didn't really start moving until after he shot the two guys. I don't know if they thought they were going to be martyrs for the cause. I don't know that they were expecting to be martyrs for their cause. <clears throat> but everything about this is a situation that I see in microcosm here. There's a version of this playing out right now in Israel and Gaza. In the Levant, where Israel and Gaza are going, are going at it. And even Israel and Gaza are a microcosm of what's going on in the world. Because the thing that I, and I think part of the reason probably why I'm not terribly emotionally into this, like it's not, it's not causing my blood to flow. It's not causing, you know, the anxiety or the increase, like under normal circumstances, because I did watch the video all the way up through the moment where, uh, where he does actually shoot the protesters. And I looked at it and it wasn't, I could tell what I was looking at was real, but there was an element to it that just still seemed surreal. 
like I was looking at it. <laughs> actually, like I was looking at a meme. Something truly mimetic about the world. Because when Hamas flew their little hang gliders and paddled their little boats and cut through the fence and went in and attacked Israel and kidnapped all those people and shot up and raped and murdered and pillaged and all and just kind of, and just did awful and unspeakable things to the to the Israeli people. My first thought was goodness. What a response that's going to provoke. How far do you have to go to fight an enemy that fights the way Hamas does? And that's why, I'll be honest with you, looking back at the, at, uh, the previous podcast where I'm talking about, um, you know, we're going to have to actually decide, is genocide worth it to stop these things? That was actually the, the, because I drew it out to its logical conclusion, an enemy that fights the way Hamas did, having no regard for military conflict and the restraints that are supposed to be in war. And, and it makes it makes no sense, does it? How are you going to restrain war? I mean, this whole thing is supposed to be brutal, right? Well, no, there is such a thing as a contest of wills that doesn't go to the level of depravity that Hamas did. Things went <clears throat> to those who are like, well, you know, but this didn't come out of nowhere. Well, it kind of did. There has been very minimal violence back and forth between the nation state of Israel and Hamas. There's been very little in the way, like there's been protests, there's been discussions, but when Hamas came out, they came out with the most ugly, most heinous form of combat that I got to be honest with you, I've ever seen in the modern, in like during my lifetime. And I've seen some stuff. They did things that I hadn't, like the low end of what they did, the normal stuff of what they did, I had not seen since, Afghan since I was in Afghanistan. And, I, and even then, I didn't actually witness that sort of stuff. I got to clean up the mess. I hadn't seen that level of depravity since the 90s in Chechnya. And Hamas went worse. They went further than what the Chechens did. In a battle of wills, he who cares the most wins. You want to know why conservatives always lose? That's actually the secret. We don't care. We just want to be left alone. I just want to be free to worship my God and raise my family and build my house and maybe build a business and have something to pass on to my kids. And in general, I just want to be left alone. But these people don't want to leave you alone. 
The corporations don't want to leave you alone. They want to get your information and sell it to people. They want to do whatever it is that they can to get you hooked in the usury trap so that you're paying rent or interest payments or you're leasing or you're doing something, but you don't ever own anything and you're constantly paying them. And then the government doesn't want to leave you alone. They're going to go ahead and give you all the drugs that you want. You can smoke crystal meth and do and smoke marijuana. You can take fentanyl and heroin and they don't bloody care. But don't you dare light a cigarette. Don't you dare homeschool your children. Don't you dare stand up and say, look, dude, the FBI has got to go. They've gone completely off the wall. Don't you dare protect life. I'm glad this happened in Panama and not in America. I'm not glad this happened, but I'm glad this happened not here. Because this, this is the indicator. This is the windsock on the airfield. The bellwether in the storm. People aren't going to come out and reject this out of hand as just murder. It's more than that. The vast majority of people, and they could be mistaken as to who it is that's actually doing the oppressing, but the vast majority of people feel like this man. They're just sick of it. They don't want the FBI knocking at their door at 6 o'clock in the morning. They don't want the ATF raiding the local gun store to get people's records. They don't want the IRS armed with pistols and rifles. They don't want Antifa in their streets burning cities down. They don't want BLM laundering money and destroying cities. They don't want bad cops. They don't want corrupt judges. They don't want a justice system completely broken. They don't want politicians who are lining their pockets at the expense of the country. They don't want banksters destroying their livelihood by, deep, by inflating the currency out of existence. They don't want these things. And whether or not they know who it is who's doing it to them, We now know we can't trust the medical establishment. We, we know we have never been able to trust the universities. We know we can't trust the media. We know we can't trust the FBI. We can't trust the CIA. We can't trust the NSA. We can't trust the Congress. We can't trust the Supreme Court. We can't trust the president. We can't trust our mayor, our city cops, our state police, our governors. And what's worse, by and large, we can't trust our priests, our bishops, our pope. None of them are committed to the truth. None of them are committed to justice. None of them are committed to charity. None of them are committed to the well-being of anyone except themselves. 
not the Pope, not the Cardinals, not the Russian patriarchs, not the presidents, not the senators, not the parliamentarians. No business, no tech platform, no body. And you can't even actually legitimately say that they're in it for themselves because they're only secondarily in it for themselves. It appears like they're just in it to destroy everything. And the vast majority of people do not want to be destroyed. They don't want to be starved to death because the $20 that used to be able to provide a whole family's worth of fast food now only provides a meal. When I first started driving, I could take $20 out of the ATM. I could fill up my gas tank and buy a pack of cigarettes and get $10 back. And by fill up, I mean fill up my gas tank. The whole thing. Cigarettes were a buck eighty-five. Gas was seventy-nine cents a gallon. We're not talking about the fifties. We're not talking about the seventies. This was the turn of the millennium. Nineteen ninety-eight, nineteen ninety-nine, early two thousand. To. 23 years ago. Not very long. Twenty bucks. If I were to spend all twenty bucks, was a tank full of gas, a pack of cigarettes, and two combo meals at a fast food joint. So me and one other person could eat. $20. It just cost me $60 to fill up my tank. When I stop at a, when I stop to get food, at a minimum, it costs me $10, and that's if I'm going really light. If I, get, if I get the same food that I got in 1999, the same, the same meal, it's $60 for the gas, $20 for the meal, $10 for the pack of cigarettes. In 23 years. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. 
With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Why am I concerned about this? Because I have that memory. I don't even have this guy's memory. This guy's 77 years old. <clears throat> 77. That means if we draw this back to when I was about 10 years old, he would have been 40. Right about 40 years old. And the reason why I chose when I was 10 years old is going back 35 years, just about 35 years. Gas had just come up to 75 cents a gallon. Cigarettes were still a buck. A dollar. The nearest equivalent to the meal in a fast food joint would have cost 
$7 for two. When you watch the arc of the way everything's progressing, yeah, the price went up from, from uh, 1985 to 2000, or 1989 to 2000. But from 1989 to 2000, the price of gas went up four cents. The price of cigarettes went up 30 cents. The price of food went up a dollar. And I'm using a particular and I'm using a particular combination of food. You know, one of one of the big marker, one of the big make names of a burger, fries, and a drink. Let me say that again. The price of the gas went up four cents per gallon. The cigarettes went up thirty or forty cents a gallon, or thirty or forty cents a pack. The meal may have gone up a dollar. In these 20 years, gas is now $4 a gallon, more than four times the cost. The cigarettes are eight to $10 almost 10 times the cost. And the price of the meal has quadrupled. All of it, most of it actually quadrupled. Cigarettes, of course, because government taxes and all that other crap, because you can't smoke, but you can do meth. in 20 years. That 20 years compared to the other 20 years, by percentage, not a very tremendous, not a large change. In 1989, you didn't have to tell people that a boy was a boy and a girl was a girl. Johnny Carson laughed at Mr. Rogers in 1989 when Mr. Rogers, in an interview on The Tonight Show, when asked, why does he say, would you know, why, you put out, you put out in one of your shows that a boy is a boy and he'll grow up to be a man and a girl is a girl and she'll grow up to be a woman. Or a lady, actually, is what he said. <clears throat> Johnny Carson asked him, he said, because there will come a day when people won't believe that. This was in 1989. The other reason is providentially, I didn't intend to pick the, the, this timeline, but providentially, that's kind of how it turned out. In 1989, Mr. Rogers was saying, eventually, you'll, people will not believe that a boy is a boy and a girl is a girl, that a man is a man and a man is not a woman and a woman is not a man and a girl is not a boy. That there are, that it's two sexes.
And in 1989, it wasn't a joke that you could make about the Catholic Church or the priests about a so-called affinity for little boys. Same timeline. Same timeline. The concern I have is that this was something I was waiting for. I'm glad, like I said, I'm glad this didn't happen in the United States. I'm glad, I'm glad that given the fact that it clearly had to happen because it did, I'm glad that it did not happen in the United States. Because this this is actually coming to our country. I'm of the opinion that if BLM tries to pull what it pulled in 2020, or Antifa tries to pull what it pulled in 2020, I'm pretty sure more of them are going to get killed. It's not going to be them running around the streets hunting down Trump supporters like they did in Portland in 2020. I have the distinctive feeling that this time around, we're just probably not going to take it anymore. You see, on a strategic level, the federal government messed up. On January 6, 2021, they effed up. A lot. Not even a small amount. Because in the lead up to it, I knew it was a trap. I knew it was a trap. I had a feeling that we're going to, like, in all honesty, I actually thought that we're going to get the violence that they keep screaming and crying that they got, which they very clearly never got. The only person to die was actually one of the protesters shot by a corrupt Capitol policeman. I expected an actual, I, I honestly... I expected people to actually act more of the fool than they did on January 6th. And I expected that to be the impetus that the government was going to use to do exactly what they've done in the subsequent years. The problem is, it didn't get that bad. No one showed up with guns. No one showed up and stormed the Capitol and started shooting people. If it gets to that point again. If that happens where it gets to that boiling point again, next time, why would I not think about this for a minute? Let's say I was a protester. I didn't go to, I didn't go to the Capitol on January 6th, <clears throat> but let's say I did. And I see people getting arrested left and right and center who just walked around and took selfies. I see a guy who went in with his face painted red, white, and blue with a buffalo hat and some weird and some weird flesh tone 
uh, pants with a backpack and an American flag, and I saw him go to prison for four and a half years. And I see the FBI, two years later, raiding a, the home of some dude. I don't know who this dude is. I just know that I saw the video footage of his home being raided. A military veteran who was just there recording video. I don't know if he went into the Capitol or not, but I do know that the FBI is raiding his home and he did nothing but record video. Tucker Carlson just did an interview with a guy who's going to prison for something like 10 years for a meme that he didn't even invent. It's not like he created the meme. He found the meme online and then posted it again. Why? Because the freaking meme was funny. But he's about to get 10 years in prison. If this country reaches a boiling point again, I honestly don't see why anyone who, who feels strongly enough to go out and protest doesn't actually just overthrow the country. There's not a reason to hold back. The government is clearly not doing the right thing. Antifa gets out on bail and commits murder. The other side prays in front of a, a silently in front of an abortion clinic and gets arrested. A family man goes to an abortion clinic as part of a pro-life rally and has the FBI storming his house at 6 o'clock in the morning, guns drawn on his family. Now you tell me, dear family, why would you hold back in the light, like, did not counting anything with supernatural grace? Okay? From a material standpoint, remember, we're not looking at, we're looking at this from the perspective being believers, be believing in God's grace, in God's supernatural grace. But for all of the millions of people out there who do not have supernatural grace, why would they not? What natural impulsion is going to stop them because we're at a point where I can show up and just say words and pay the same price as if I'd have showed up and burned the place to the ground and shot dozens of people. Because that's what the 10-year sentence is. Enrique Tario, who wasn't even at the Capitol on January 6th, getting 22 years in prison. 22 years is a murder sentence. And he wasn't even there. Why would I not just go all the way? Well, we got to hold the moral high ground. I got to be honest with you, dear family. I don't think that is going to be enough to stop people in the future. I really don't. We're not talking about people who have access to the sacraments. We're not talking about people who pray the rosary daily. We're not talking about people who have our blessed mother to intercede on their behalf. We're talking about people who normally in their day-to-day -day lives 
act like animals. We're talking about millions of people who are addicted, hopelessly addicted to pornography, and they don't even understand that it's an addiction. They don't understand the demonic apparatus that's behind it. We're talking about a people who have decided that sodomy in every one of its forms is okay. And I say in every one of its forms because there is such a thing as sodomy committed in a heterosexual fashion. Our country has been so inundated with you do you and I'll do me and you know we're just not like we just don't have to get together that we've been willing to allow horrifying things to just be in the public consciousness. And the vast majority of these people have no idea. One of the biggest, most prominent voices for the Republican Party allowed herself to be put in a position to be caught on camera. Now, I understand I mean, I would not have expected some Yahoo to have a night vision camera in the movie theater filming filming the private interactions between two adults. I say private. I'm, I put that private in quotation marks because obviously it was a public place, but they were in the dark. I mean, they were in the dark to the point where you needed a night vision camera and you really couldn't tell exactly. Like, I didn't know who the heck it was. She's one of the biggest voices fighting the most wickedness. And she's allowed herself to be caught in that position. And this, isn't a, this is not a judgment call on the actions. It's not. I honestly, I heard about it. I was like, yeah, whatever. I don't know her. She doesn't represent my district. She's not in my state. <clears throat> I never really liked her. Particularly like I'm not like, oh, hey, wow, Lauren Boebert. Ooh, I don't like whatever. I could care less. Honestly, I could care less. <clears throat> it would just be very hard to express. <laughs> uh, oh, let me care less. Oh, it's really hard to show you. Uh, I don't I, I just. I don't care. I really, truly don't care. <clears throat> Certainly not any worse than anything I've done in my past. She's younger than I am, so you know what? Good on her. I'm, whatever. Again, I don't care. I don't care. We, we obviously know the morality of the act. And I'm, duh. You're listening to Radio Free Catholic. Beyond all of that, I honestly don't care. I simply pointed out and she's one of the biggest fighters against the madness. And even she's mad. She's just as broken as everybody else out there. That's the point.
I don't even want to think about some of the other skeletons that some of these people have in their closets. I mean, some of the biggest voices who are prominent, like ostensibly, the whole Groiper movement. I, I can wrap my brain around it, and it hurts. I can comprehend that movement, and it hurts. It hurts my brain. It hurts my brain to know that the, that the biggest voice in the Groiper movement, a kid who seems as of several years ago, a few years ago anyway, to have had some predilections that are questionable, considering he claims to be Catholic. And I'm not going to get into them, because I'm simply going to say that he has managed to let his dirty laundry out enough that you can question him. Like, you can question his stance, if he's really looking closely as... as, as uh, for the th about the things that he's actually looking at. And then, oh yeah, by the way, he's a kid. I mean, he's not a child, but he's, you know, I'm old enough to be his father. He's a kid. And he's prominent. And he's Catholic. And he's broken. We're talking about, actually, we're also talking about a movement and again, not throwing stones at the man. But a movement who was rallying behind Milo Yiannopoulos. <clears throat> and the reason why I'm not throwing stones at the man is because he was more than willing to be, and I mean, he made a lot of money doing it. And again, well, I'll leave it be. The judgment calls are... The judgment calls are not for me to make, okay? I've never met the man personally, but keep in mind that we're talking about a man who made his name on being the most ridiculously flamboyantly homosexual Republican in the history of planet Earth. And it wasn't just, I mean, don't get me wrong. It was, he's, he's charismatic and he's entertaining. And if you ever, you know, and he's fairly, he's pretty quick witted and, um, you know, can manage to stay pretty grounded, um, and, and, and not lose himself too, too much. I mean, he has, he has made some errors in statement. I don't know. <laughs> I've watched the interview. He did not lie. And I don't think he was necessarily wrong. But that interview, he said some things and people were like, oh my goodness, and they started to slander him. And I do believe that it was slander and it was close enough to the, and it was close enough to a sensitive area that he realized that he needed to say a mea culpa rather than stand defiantly in the face. Which really, in all honesty, given what we now know about the appropriate battle tactics, is exactly what he should have done, was simply stand defiantly in the face and just look at everybody and say, you wanted me to be your token gay guy, your token flamboyantly gay guy who could be out there loud and proud in front of God and everybody so that you could feel good about your so-called conservative movement. Never understanding what it means to a movement that is ostensibly Christian to have a flamboyantly gay guy as its mascot.
never once noodling that all the way through and figuring out maybe this is not the way to go. Completely unaware. And that's the world that we're talking about. Where the opposition, the people who are supposedly standing strong for America and, and you know, truth, justice in the American way or whatever and all that bollocks, completely unself-aware to the fact that they have lost everything that resembles grace in their natural lives, in their individual lives, in their family lives, and in their political lives nationwide. There is nothing resembling supernatural grace among any of them. So the idea that they're, they're going to take that moment to say, to, you know, to pray the, pray the quick prayer, Angela Dei, que custos es me metibe comisión piedad de superna, jodie lumina custode regue guberna. They're not going to stop to ask. They're not going to stop and pray an ave before they really go down the rabbit hole. They're not going to stop and pray a memorare or pray to St. Michael the Archangel. They're not going to stop to beg our Lord to cover them in his precious blood. They're not going to stop for that before they do something like this. It is only by the grace of God that Kenneth Darlington has not had his precursor already. And I was astonished because they tried to make Kyle Rittenhouse out to be like this guy. Kyle Rittenhouse, who was legitimately under physical attack by multiple guys accused and convicted of sex crimes against minors who were trying to kill him. Now, <clears throat> I use the accused and convicted part not as an illustration of their character, but as an illustration of their history and poor judgment. Because those guys were accused and convicted by the same justice system in operation today. The same justice system that I just got done telling you we can't trust. And I'm not convinced that we could have ever trusted it. You're like, oh, but surely it had to be better before. Waco, Texas? The ATF, the DEA, and the FBI? Oh, but those were the Branch Davidians. Yeah. They decided to de-escalate a, a situation by lighting the building on fire and killing hundreds of people, dozens of children. And then they had the audacity. They do have the audacity every time we get around the anniversary to come out and say, this is why the ATF is awesome. 
this is why the DEA is awesome. You butcher dozens of children. You're not awesome. You're just as bad as Planned Parenthood. You're just as bad as Hamas. You're just as bad as Israel. And that's kind of the through line. So Kenneth Darlington, for some people in Israel, for some of the Israeli citizens, and even some of the Israeli Defense Force, Kenneth Darlington is them. We're never going to be safe unless we do this thing. And so we have to do this thing. And it's not with great joy. But we have to do this thing. And here in another year or two, I'm assuming right around January of 2025, in this country, people are going to realize we didn't want to, but we have to do this thing. There are no other choices. We can no longer let the government run roughshod over the people the way it's doing. We can no longer let the banksters steal our money by typing in ones and zeros into a computer. You think ransomware is bad? In the last 20 years, prices have gone up 400%. In the 20 years before that, they went up 20%. If it was even 20%. The average person can't afford to purchase a home. It's funny because I'm watching, I've been watching a lot of, I haven't been watching the videos themselves. I've been watching a lot of the coverage of the videos. And so I end up seeing the videos themselves. You want to know why a young person doesn't want to work? I'll tell you why. Because five years ago, when everybody was griping about $15 an hour needed to be the living wage, they needed to raise the, you remember that? They need to raise the minimum wage to $15 an hour. If you make $15 an hour now, you still can't pay your rent. You still can't buy gas. You still can't buy food. Not to the degree that you need to. Even if you have two people in, two, like, let's say two teenagers, like a pair of teenagers get married. You know, 17, 18 years old, they decide to get married, and, and they're both going to work because they're both trying to just scrape together enough money to pay the rent for their itty-bitty little one-bedroom apartment assuming it's even a one-bedroom apartment, and they can't afford to pay the rent of the apartment, even with both of them making $15 an hour, both of them working full-time jobs, both of them, and they're not going to be able to actually scrape together enough money to pay the rent, let alone to pay a mortgage. There's not really enough money in the two people making $15 an hour. There's not really enough money for them to buy a car, one car between the two of them, 
let alone two cars, given the fact that they're both working, presumably outside of the home, trying to make $15 an hour, neither of them are, both of them together and neither of them apart can afford to live on that money. $15 an hour. Dear family, in 2004, I could do all of that for myself at $8 an hour. Let me say that again. In 2004, 20 years ago, you could make $8 an hour and be single and pay your rent, your car payment, your phone bill, your cable, all of that. I mean, you probably didn't have like premium cable, but you could pay for cable. For $8 an hour, you could do that. Now, the only way, in all honesty, that you're going to be able to do that is if you're making $30 an hour. So from $8 an hour to $30 an hour, where you could afford to do, where you could afford all of the things that I, and I'm not talking about a great apartment. You're not living the life of luxury, but as a single person, if you're just starting out, $8 an hour in 2004 was not bad. Now, if you're just starting out at $15 an hour, you don't make enough. I'm not surprised young people today don't want to work. I'm not surprised at all. Truly, I'm not surprised whatsoever. I can't afford to do any of these things. Working my butt off. Working overtime. What was his name? Oliver Anthony, the guy who sang the song Rich Men from Richmond. That song hit because it wasn't a lie. It starts with a song. This isn't a movement. This is a convulsion that's coming. This is going to be a chastisement. And of all of the chastisements in the last 2,000 years, this is going to make them all pale in comparison. We have reached a point now where the chastisement, just to set everything kind of to an even keel, has to be worse than it was in the days of Noah. Just to hit the reset button. And the thing that is most bewildering, and this is actually the thing that scares me the most, if we're actually just at a run-of-the-mill chastisement, we're not actually where the Immaculate Heart of Mary will triumph, if, that, if we're not at that point yet, we still got more of this to go, I don't want to see it. 
And I'm not worried about me. I could care a lot. Honestly, let's be real. As long as I die in a state of grace, I don't care. I'm worried about everybody else out there. If the numbers are in any way representative of the facts, like the objective state of people's souls, then of 350 million Americans, if this nation were to be completely eradicated down to the last man, woman, and child, no one over the age of eight who is not a Catholic goes to heaven. Think about that for just a moment. No one over the age of eight who is not a Catholic goes to heaven. Why do I say this? Ostensibly, the age of eight is right around where the age of responsibility, like that, that age of uh, reason is in human children. So in boys and girls, when they get to be about seven, eight, maybe nine years old, right in that area is when they start to really like get full on the development of reason. That's when it starts. Okay. Well, given that, and given the fact that right now the average age of exposure to pornography for a child is 11, Boys, it's a little bit younger with an addiction developing pretty much right off the jump. No boy with a pornography addiction, whether Catholic or not, is going to make it into heaven age 8 or above. No girl buying into feminism age 8 or above is going to heaven. First wave, second wave, third wave doesn't actually matter. None of them are really going to get into heaven because they don't have the... They don't have the spiritual demeanor. And I'm not entirely sure if that's quite the right word. But it's very, but it's going to be very unlikely that they have the awareness to know that they need the grace to keep them out of that particular error. And pretty much that means anybody, no child above the age of eight who's not a Catholic, who's not a Catholic in a traditional Catholic home, who has not been properly sheltered from all of the evil in this world, Almost none of them are going to make it straight to heaven. A goodly portion of the ones who are Catholic will probably make it into purgatory. And so you might get 200,000 eight-year-olds and above, from eight to maybe 15. You might get some 200,000 children in that demographic who might make it at least to purgatory and, may, and then on to heaven. Maybe. i got to be honest with you, I'm really not hopeful about that high of a number. Why? Because there's only some couple hundred thousand traditional Catholics in America. And let me reorient you to what the to what the spiritual landscape looks in this battle looks like in this battle. The vast majority of practicing faithful traditional Catholics will still probably end up in hell. Oh, but that's hard. Well, I mean. Remember, before the Second Vatican Council, everybody was a traditional Catholic. They wouldn't have called themselves a traditional Catholic, they just would have been Catholic. So everybody who is today a traditional Catholic is only at the level of a Catholic a hundred years ago. 
and most of the Catholics prior to the Second Vatican Council to the tune of about 50,000, or excuse me, 59,995 of them would go to hell. Let me say that again. 59,995 of them would go to hell, three would go to purgatory, and two would go to heaven. So if the pool eligible for heaven is only 400,000 in the world, I know it's more than that, but if it were, let's just go with, actually, let's just stick with the U.S. numbers. About 250,000 across the country. So that's the pool. So of every 50,000, four will ultimately make it to heaven, with two to three of them going to purgatory first for a significantly long time, and one actually just going straight to heaven. That's the ratio. That's the ratio kind of basically handed down by the saints who have seen such things. This is not infallible church teaching. This is simply the assessment on hand. What you should be saying as a traditional Catholic is, so you're saying there's a chance. So there's a chance I'll get to heaven. And then you fight to get that chance to get to heaven. But if we're just going to run the numbers and from, you know, just kind of, you know, expand the numbers out and sort of project them on using a, a sort of stochastic model, then of the 250,000 practicing Catholics, 20 will spend some time in purgatory and maybe three or four will go straight to heaven. Out of 250,000. And remember, extra ecclesia nulla salus, outside of the church there is no salvation, and most Catholics, whether or not most of the rest of the Catholic nonsense, whether or not they know it, really kind of end up putting themselves outside of the church. Remember, 8% attend, attend Holy Mass every Sunday. And on Holy Days of Obligation, 8% of Catholics, which constitute at least a quarter of the nation's population, only 8% of them, so 8% of a quarter, attend Holy Mass every week, if we're just taking from that number, because remember, prior to 1960, all Catholics, 97% of Catholics, went to church every week. Now it's 8%. So 350 million divided by 4, let's bump it up to 360 so I can keep some round numbers. 360 million divided by 4, and let's go ahead and account for the 10 million yahoos that came in in the last year uh, through the southern border. So so 360 million people inside these United States, that means 9 million of them are Catholic, or excuse me, 90 million of them are Catholic, and 8% of that roughly 720,000. So 8% of the 90 million, seven, roughly 720,000 are actually eligible for this number. So you might have 
35, 36 people make it to heaven. I hope you were able to follow the numbers along. We bumped it up to 360 million, so the numbers are going to be a little bit high. Taking every person inside these United States, of them, one quarter of the population identifies as Catholic. One quarter of 360 million is 90 million. Eight percent of them go to church every week. Eight percent of them. Like when you get done, you start peeling off the ones who believe in the real presence of Christ and all that stuff. You get left with eight percent of people who are actually faithful Catholics. Catholics who believe the faith. And from that number, you now reduce it at the scale between 30 and 60,000, where you get between five and six people. And I didn't go for the lower ratio, I went for the slightly higher ratio. When you reduce the numbers down and you actually pare that down following just the stochastic model, we're not actually we're, we're not actually like running a deep dive into the numbers and actually cross-referencing all that other stuff. This is just just the quick quick broad strokes of the stochastic model. And you go from 90, mil, 90 million Catholics in America to the 720,000 who are actually upholding the faith. Remembering, of course, extra ecclesia nulla salus, so we don't even actually have to increase the numbers back up. We are literally just starting with the 720,000 once you reduce that quarter, and it's actually less than that. Again, I'm keeping to because it's actually 23%. It's not 25. <clears throat> but you reduce it down, you reduce it down by the quarter, you get to 720,000, and then you reduce that one. And really, by reducing that one, you just take the other numbers and you multiply them by enough to get to 720,000, and you get to roughly 36 people. Twenty of them will go to purgatory, possibly more. Sixteen of them will go to heaven. Thirty-six saints. Not raised to the altars, but 36 saints. <laughs> 720,000 people who have enough operating supernatural grace in their lives and the proper disposition to at least have enough of supernatural grace in their lives to maybe be able to resist the temptation to do what Kenneth Darlington has done. Because clearly Kenneth Darlington did not, did not have the supernatural grace to not let himself end up in a situation where he did what he did. If there are 720,000 people within the borders of these United States with enough operating supernatural grace to maybe be able to, to maybe be able to eke out and not 
fall to this level. The problem is, is that 720,000 out of 360 million. Or roughly two tenths of one percent. 99.8% of Americans, of people within, of 99.8% of the people in this world are in a position of sufficient mortal sin to be subject to Kenneth Darlington's impulse. And while Kenneth Darlington is just one man, in America, it will only take one man. It'll only take one man to really get this thing rolling. It'll take one man to realize he put himself, he managed to land in a position where he simply has to do this thing. He could try to back out of it. He could try to not end up down that path. But once he's crossed a certain point, he has to do the thing because the punishment will be the same regardless. When you run the numbers and your cost-benefit analysis, the fact of the matter is, is that the cost will be the exact same if you pull the trigger than if you don't. The cost will be precisely the same if you kill them as it will be if you don't. And they've already made that they've already made that the possibility of that calculation clear because they're already arresting people and putting them in prison in prison for prayer. For speaking the truth. See, as a Catholic, we're actually in the best position to maybe have sufficient fortitude to become martyrs properly. Is that really going to be the case for all the other people? For most of everybody else? Or is most of everybody else going to end up just like him. Doesn't take any, like, it's not a huge, huge stretch. They got into a verbal altercation, and he killed two people. He shot two men dead. And the punishment for a situation like this would be 30 to 40 years, maybe life without parole, but in a lot of places they would have something worked out, plea bargains or whatever, and he might actually only spend 20 years in prison. And if he only spends 20 years in prison, then he will be in prison for less time than Enrique Tario, who was convicted of not being at the Capitol when they needed him to be the patsy. 
22 years. This isn't a judgment call one way or the other on the situation. That much is clear. I shouldn't even, like, legitimately, I shouldn't even have to make the judgments about all of the evils that I've spoken about. I'm like, oh, you're defending this, that, or the other. No, I'm not. I'm a Catholic. You can actually just operate under the assumption that I hold to the Catholic faith, that I believe what the Catholic Church has always taught throughout history, and that assessment as to the morality of the conduct the church's assessment is mine. I don't even like talking about morality and theology. Because the whole reason why I started this podcast was to talk about the battle space. To show you what the battlefield looked like. And so aside from the fact that these last few weeks have been very, very urgent because I see the way things are going, this, this is a clear waypoint on the map. This is a marker that you can see and use it to understand geographically where you're at on this spiritual battlefield. Sorry I ran a little bit long this time. I did say this was complex, and I hope I didn't repeat myself too terribly much. We seriously need to be praying. I recently discovered that the chaplet of Our Lady of Sorrows is actually a tool to pray for conversion of people. I was unaware of um, the Divine Mercy Chaplets. I should have actually known. I mean, everybody who's like really, really pro-life in the Catholic Church is all about the Divine Mercy Chaplet. I should have really known. But we've got to get the abortion thing handled. We're going to have any hope. We have to get the abortion thing handled. But in the meantime, if we can also lop some rounds to try and take away these corrupted foundations of these evil, evil men who are in charge and maybe start praying for their conversion more fervently. You know, we're coming up on St. Michael, or excuse St. Michael, St. Michael's, St. Martin's Lent. It might not be a bad idea to observe it. And if not to observe St. Martin's Lent and have really spend some time getting ready for Advent. Our Lady tells us a lot of things in her apparitions. But one of the reasons why private revelation is not the same as sacred scripture and public the public revelation that came to its conclusion with the death of the last apostle is because private revelation is always conditional. Previous podcast episode I put out about the sign of Jonah is precisely what I'm talking about. 
Jonah went to Nineveh, and the city of Nineveh repented. And so the city of Nineveh was saved from its destruction. I mean, don't get me wrong. Our Lord left the sign of jo- you know the sign of Jonah, like as as a as a key thing. We under we all understand what that you know the prefigurement and the and the uh, and the actual exposition meant. But the other sign of Jonah was that Jonah preached, and the city of Nineveh repented. So long as we repent, we can avoid the worst of the calamity. We can mitigate it. So we need to be praying. Pray for the church. Pray for the pray for these ridiculous, ridiculous people who think this synod thing is actually going to work or that they're going to be able to put it into place. Pray that it isn't. Pray that the bishops finally grow a spine and stand up and put a not a stop to this nonsense. Pray even for the for conversion of the demented reprobate in the White House who probably doesn't even have enough of his emotional spiritual faculties still in his own control to be able to tell whether or not he's actually going to be capable of being saved. But pray for his conversion too. Because an outbreak of 150,000 Kenneth Dar- Darlingtons is worse than what you really want to see. And pray for us in Catholic social media, because some of us seem to be getting a little bit wonky in these days, because the things that are happening are beginning to take a toll. I can see it. I was able to see it in myself. So for those of you who are praying for me, thank you. God love you. We do need to pray for all of us in Catholic social media. The bishops aren't talking, and so we are. I don't know that that's necessarily the smartest move on our part. So we need the extra graces. This is Caleb the Mechanic with Radio Free Catholic. May God bless you, and the Virgin protect you. In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen.